Go ahead and the rest of you uh, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 16. Be wrapping up uh, Psalm 16 this morning. We'll read verses 9 through 11. If you don't have your Bible with you, they are the words are the, the verse rather is printed in your worship guide. David writes, "Therefore my heart is glad." And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray together. O make your word a swift word, passing from the lip, from the ear to the heart, and from the heart to the lip in conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. Well, resting, you know, we've been in a, in a series now uh, for, for several weeks on rest and worship, and this is the last one in that series before we move on to the book of Ruth, which I'm looking forward to going through with you. Uh, but resting is not something that we do well. Uh, we just don't generally rest very well. I don't know about you, uh, but resting is just, it's hard. We, we tend to be a busy, we tend to be busy, right? We're busy people. We are on the move. We are driven. We are active. And if we're not busy, then the people around us are busy. And that imposes their busyness upon us uh, a lot of times. And we just kind of live in this culture of, of busyness. But it's like either you move or you're falling behind. And, you know, somehow we've even made our, our recreations seem like work. Like being a sports fan just seems exhausting to me. Like it's probably why I'm too lazy to be a sports fan. Um, but in this series, we've talked about resting with a purpose uh, in, in the form of the Sabbath that the Lord gives us, a resting as an acknowledgement of our limitations, that we are finite, resting in the middle of life's battles. How do we rest in the middle of the fight? How do we, how do, we do that? And then we turn to Psalm 16 and this this psalm is a messianic psalm, and we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit, but, but really we've been looking at how rest and worship go hand in hand. Those two things are, are inseparable in many ways. And the very presence of God is David's source of rest in this psalm as we've looked at it. We're going to wrap up the series this morning by, by being pointed to Jesus by this psalm. This psalm that was written so long before Jesus was even born, David draws a straight line for us to the Messiah. David, David knew the promises of a Redeemer. He knew the promises of Messiah. He knew that that was real. He knew that in some way this Messiah that was to come was going to be the ultimate expression of the faithfulness of God to his people. And he knew that the Messiah would also be the ultimate expression of the presence of God. He was going to be God with us. But therefore, he praises God for the Messiah who would bring this ultimate rest. And, and through the salvation that the Messiah was going to, to bring about, 
that would be our, our eternal worship. That would, that would bring about eternal worship and eternal glory for God. And, and here we are in Psalm 16, and David has kind of cried out to God for refuge and help, and he finds that God, like in his very presence and nature and character, is exactly what David needs. That God has not only provided for David's every need, but God is David's counselor. God is David's instructor. That, that God is always near. In fact, he's, he's always before me, David says. Like, and he's always going ahead of David. And whatever, whatever trial or tribulation is, is taking place, God goes in front, right? And, and now we find that the rest God provides in his presence is so perfect and so complete that not even death can threaten it. Not even death can threaten one of God's children, one of his, his holy ones. But we've been looking at all that, and we've been talking about all that, and that's where we're going, and that's where we're heading. Add to that the layer that all of this is true, and all of this takes place, and we apply all of this to our heart in the here and now, and we sort of labeled the here and now reality of life as the overwhelm, that we've been looking at rest and worship specifically in the middle of overwhelming life, overwhelming battles with, with sin and temptation and failure and, and repentance and then more temptation and then more failure and then more shame, and, but also overwhelming loneliness, overwhelming anxiety, when there's loss. Then there's the overwhelming underwhelm. <laughs> what, is, what is all this even for? Do I even believe this stuff anymore? Sometimes that's the battle that we're fighting. We were made to rest. We were made to rest in Christ, that, that we were not made to constantly struggle against the world and the flesh and the devil, that those things are an alien invader into God's creation, that we were made to glorify and enjoy God. I've never, I've always struggled, I've always struggled understanding those two things that the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts together. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Like, what's the connection of glorifying God and enjoying God? Well, it's all about worship, but it's all also about rest. That there's an enjoyment that glorifying God brings about as we rest in God's presence. I think of the end of the last battle, this very well-known and oft-quoted C.S. Lewis quote in the, in the Narnia books, kind of the closing words to these grand adventures in which so many things have happened. Here's where the children who experience Narnia are going as they enter into their ultimate rest and worship. Lewis says, all their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story. 
which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Like that sort of destiny that belongs to God's children, to me, connects rest or rest in worship, but also glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. In the presence of God, we find eternal joy. And so I want to look at at our three points this morning. And, and sometimes when you read a commentary, the commentator just expresses three points in such a way that you just can't get over it. And so I want you to know that I, I've stole these point headings from one of my commentators, uh, Daniel Aiken. So just, just so you know that, full disclosure, footnoted in the, in the minutes there. But through rest and worship, we have his peace. We, have, we experience his power and we enjoy his presence. Through rest and worship, we have his peace, we experience his power, and we enjoy his presence. So let's, that's our three points. Let's look at how through rest and worship we have his peace. You know, we've been, there's, there's been this, this war in Ukraine that has been going on now for over 200 days. I think it's like 212 or 11. We're, we're in the 200s now in this war. Uh, and just war brings, like, thankfully, and hopefully none of us in this room have a direct experience with this, but war brings turmoil to every area of life. And if you kind of place yourself in the shoes of the people who live in Ukraine and are experiencing this, it's, it's been less than a year, but how long do you think it feels for them? How long do you think it seems to those most affected? Like this, the absence of peace makes the longing for peace overwhelming, doesn't it? I mean, can you just imagine how they must long for normal life to return? Longing just to be able to go to school. Longing just to, to for a, just a simple morning walk. For, for life without fear in these everyday mundane moments. I think rest and worship brings a peace to, to every part of us, every, every moment of us, the physical and the spiritual. And this, is like, this psalm encourages me in this. In verse 9 says, Therefore, David says, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. So you have to ask the question, like, what is the therefore, therefore, right? And it's always a good thing to ask. So what is the therefore? It refers back to this, this front and center presence of God in David's life. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. He's saying, God is with me. God is right here. He is at my right hand. And I have this unshakable foundation of his faithfulness to stand on. And because that is true, David says, therefore, every part of everything that I am rejoices. He says, my heart, the, the center of me. He's not talking about just his emotional side of it, but the very center and core of his being, his heart. His, even, even my flesh, David says, dwells secure. Contrast this when, when David was wallowing in unrepentant sin in Psalm 32. He says, For when I keep silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. 
For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I mean, there's a physical malady that is taking place in David's flesh because of his unrepentance. This is my bones wasted away. My flesh and my strength dried up. These tomato plants on our back deck, and if you don't water them, they will just dry and shrivel up within like a day. But that's kind of the image that David presents, like of just this dried up, parched plant. But in Psalm 16, when he's resting in God's presence, he says, my flesh dwells secure. Life in the overwhelm is a war. Every day can, can feel like a battle of, of some kind, a battle with 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 people who are not sanctified the way you want them to be. (laughs) Your kids aren't who you want them to be. Your husband isn't who you want him to be. Your boss isn't who you want her to be. You aren't who you want to be. Nobody seems to be sanctified in the direction that you want them to be sanctified. Why is that so, right? But resting in the presence of God is how you find victory in that battle. I know that I'm talking about worshiping and resting and how worship is rest and and victorious and you you might be saying wait a minute Uh, getting my kids ready for church doesn't feel very victorious right and then wrestling them into the pew and then making sure they're at least pretending to participate getting myself out of bed when I know really deep down in my heart this is not where I want to be it's not what I want to do I'd rather do something else that doesn't feel all that victorious that doesn't feel like the path of life, right? There is no fullness of joy. We're full of something, but it's not joy usually. Where are the pleasures forevermore? You know, is that a reference to the donuts? Um, Maybe. But when you come into the presence of God as exhausted and overwhelmed as you may be, you are coming into the presence of the one who made the heavens and the earth. But you're also coming into the presence of the one who says to you in those moments of difficulty and struggle and overwhelm, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God. The Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So through rest and worship, we have his peace, and we also experience his power. Verse 10, David says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. He's talking about resurrection power here. Like, he's not talking about power in the abstract. He's talking about resurrection power. Whatever happens, David knows that there is safety in resting in the presence of God, that, that the worst case scenario for the one who trusts 
in the Lord is resurrection life. That, that not even death can remove David from the presence of God. That not even in the land of the dead in Sheol is he separated from God. That even in those places, in that darkness, in that depth of despair, in that, that uh, hopelessness, God remains, as verse 6 says, his beautiful inheritance. In fact, David actually, and the people of God actually come fully into this inheritance as we pass into his presence through death. Because there's more to this verse than, than even the wonderful proclamation of resurrection life. There's this, this proclamation of the one through whom this resurrection life will come to David and comes to God's people. That This is a, a messianic psalm, meaning that, that this is a prophecy, that David is prophesying in this psalm. He is prophesying, he's pointing us to Jesus. He's referring to the Messiah. He knew he was talking about another holy one. But now we know his name, Jesus. Peter and Paul both quote Psalm 16, and they use it to to refer to Jesus and his resurrection. They do that in in Acts 2 and Acts 13. And in Peter's sermon on the day of, of Pentecost, he says, you know, this Jesus that, that you crucified him, but, but God raised him up and, and now he's sitting at God's right hand. And then Peter kind of goes on in the climax of this whole thing in Acts two thirty nine. he says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter's saying, God is before you. Salvation is, is before you, and, and the Lord resurrects our dead, decaying bodies. But more miraculously than that, he resurrects dead, decaying hearts. That he comes near to those who are far off. Imagine this. This is a true story. What if you lost everything? What if you lost every possession, every bit of wealth, every scrap of your reputation? Even your children were taken from you. Can you think of somebody that that's true of in the Bible? <laughs> Job? Does Job come to mind? That's what happened to Job. And still he finds life and rest in the presence of God. Listen, listen to this from Job 19. And I think that Job says this through tears. I think that Job says this through clenched teeth. That he's, he's saying this in order to convince himself that it is true. Not that his faith is perfect and complete, but that he's struggling and he's overwhelmed and he's hurting and he's... He's ready to die. He laments the day of his birth. And so he says this through clenched teeth. It's it's a Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief kind of moment, I believe. Job 19, 25 through 27. For I know that my Redeemer lives. 
And at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Let the living God, let the living Holy One of God draw you into His rest. Jesus is your Redeemer, and He is alive. So through rest and worship, we have His peace, we experience His power, and we enjoy His presence. Jesus' resurrection is, is... the reason for all of the fulfillment of all of the promises of Psalm 16. There's, there's several promises in Psalm 16 that we've, we've looked at and we've gone over, and Jesus is at the heart of all of them, that all of them are true because of Christ and what he has accomplished and the trueness, the truth of his resurrection power that's at work, right? In verse 1, because of Jesus' resurrection, we have all the goodness of God as our Lord. Uh, Verse 3, that that we are united to brothers and sisters who are God's good gift to us. 5 and 6, that we have this beautiful inheritance of life in His presence. 7 and 8, that He is our counselor, He's our teacher, He's our instructor, He's our mentor, He's our guide, He's our foundation. That all of these things belong to us in Christ now. This is the expression of, of all the grace that Jesus promises that, that we have access to in the middle of this great overwhelm that, that you can cease striving and rest in Christ. That His grace has you. How do we see this? Do we see this? Do we recognize this? It can be a struggle to believe that this wonderful truth is truly true. Scott Sauls, in his book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, which, which I recommend to you, um, tells a story. And in, in 2007, uh, there was a famous violinist who took his violin, which just happened to, to be a Stradivarius, um, worth three and a half million dollars, And he took his Stradivarius onto the platform of a Washington, D.C. subway. And he started playing free music. And so here's this this world-class violinist dressed in jeans and T-shirt and tennis shoes just with his case open there in front of him. His name is Joshua Bell. This guy's accustomed to playing to to packed concert halls for for world leaders and, and all of that. And, yep, the queen. So she made it into the sermon this week again. And getting paid like a thousand bucks a minute. <laughs> and he brought his A game to the subway of Washington, D.C. and played for 45 minutes. He made a total of $32. <laughs> they looked at the camera and they kind of counted the number of people. There were 1,097 people that walked past Joshua Bell as he played. This, this violin so beautifully, so wonderfully 
seven people stopped to listen. The remaining 1,070 people rushed by, barely noticing what was going on, just, and they went about their day. It's remarkable how easily we can miss beauty, even when it's right in front of us. Scott Sauls says this, how true this is, that we miss out on the best things because we prefer the lesser things. We miss out on the wondrous things because we prefer the humdrum things. We miss out on the adventure because we prefer the safe, contained, controllable things. Gazing at beauty is its own reward. Looking away from beauty is its own punishment. Verse 11, David says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's grace that makes us satisfied in him. Ask God to satisfy you with his presence. There's a shift. Notice the shift in verse 8. It's God who is at David's right hand. He's leading and he's helping. But now, David is at God's right hand where there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 84 verse 10 says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. That that the grace of God is the presence of God. It's grace that empowers our worship. It's grace that invites us into his, His throne room. It's grace that causes Him to draw near to us in the saving work and life and death of Christ Jesus. It's grace that makes our hearts alive. It's grace that opens our eyes to the truth of our need in Christ. It's grace that draws us into repentance. It's grace that bends our knees before the cross. It's grace that that empowers our words as we express our dependence upon our Savior. It's grace that gives us the drive and the desire to proclaim His goodness in our lives and in our words to those around us. It's grace that draws us back into relationship with one another. It's grace that gives us the ability to sing and to pray and to hear His Word and to have our hearts pierced by these things. It's grace that seats us at this table. But we don't just get that for one day. Better is one day in the presence of God than a thousand elsewhere. But it's grace that gives us that for an eternity. We get eternity in his presence. Rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Why is that last thing so hard? Why do we resist? Lord, Lord, killing us the compulsion to earn. Killing us the, the desire to, to seek worthiness apart from Christ. And give us the rest that comes from knowing that we are in Him. That we are united to Him. And that our identity is found in Him. Lord, help us to do that. So that our activity might come from a place of joy. Help us to do that so that our our worth and our 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 happiness and our our ability to to walk through life with some semblance of joy might come from what he has done rather than what we have done. Lord Help us to love Jesus with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. As we come to this table, we pray that you would remind us. Teach us of your goodness. Teach us of your mercy. Teach us that Christ is all. Christ is all that we need. And we pray in his name. Amen.